You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday, the 17th of May. Lovely morning here in TW11. Lovely, I'm sure, across the Navesmire for the first day of York's Dante Festival, and hopefully lovely in Baltimore, where I'm headed later on for the Preakness Stakes on Saturday. Cornelius Lysett joins me today. And Cornelius, York seems like the right place to start because there's there's been plenty of noise building up to, to this meeting in a way that I, I can't really remember before and in a way that makes me rather envious that I'm not going to be there this week. I think for the flat racing connoisseur um, that uh, wants to uh, go to a week which is a great occasion and a great um, and provides a great deal of uh, good sport this week is probably the the week of the whole year and um, yeah I'm, I'm slightly in the same boat as you but really looking forward to trying to crack these handicaps and um, seeing whether Sir Michael Stout can uh, have a good week with his classic prospects whether Highfield Princess uh, can finally get past creative force um, whether um, the the, the uh, successors to Stradivarius uh, can um, can come up in any sort of trumps in the Yorkshire Cup on Friday. So lots to look forward to. Lots to look forward to. I've been speaking to the head of uh, marketing, James Brennan, about the week at York and picking out some of the, the key themes and some of the key aspirations for the race course. This is what he's had to say. It stormed glorious above the Naves Mire here on Wednesday morning and li- lingering chance of a shower through the week, but uh, substantively dry. And starting to feel increasingly warm, so we're we're looking forward to seeing those superstars, uh, both potential and existing. The York Race Committee have put the money down one point four two five million, up a six figure sum from last year's uh, staging of this festival. So we're delighted at the entries uh, and the declarations that that seems to have attracted. Around this time last year, James, we were we were sort of expressing concerns about whether people were were, were going racing. Uh, for these for these big spring meetings, how have your ticket sales been? I think we we use terms like solid. We we, we recognise that there is a pressure on finances of of everyone's budgets, and also that means people having to work quite hard. So um, the ability to perhaps take a day off in the week is not maybe what it was uh, a few years ago. So the great thing about the crowd at the Dante Festival is that they they love being here. They understand what they're seeing in terms of the star horses so there'll certainly be a buzz around the parade ring and the winner's enclosure and indeed in the betting ring i did want to just expand a little bit on on what i was talking about with william on the on the sunday program on racing tv about york's sustainability drive and what what you've already achieved in the last in the last five years cutting your your carbon emissions by by 51 percent that's pretty remarkable it is. It's a, it's a great testimony to, to the work of Gavin Patterson and our facilities team. Um, Gavin started effectively at the back end of 2017, which is why we've picked that as our benchmark. Um, plus, of course, there was a couple of years there in the middle when life was a little unusual. Um, but yes, a 51% uh, reduction is, is a terrific achievement, but it's only a start. The commitment is net zero by 2040 and I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners to this podcast will understand the uh, the significant difference between net zero and carbon neutral uh, in simple terms net zero is the real deal 
Um, and, and that's what we're aiming for. But that'll need a lot more work. You know, in the next 20 years, can I envisage solar panels being a lot more prominent on the race course as we keep redeveloping? I think that's an opportunity for us. And it's not just those those carbon emissions. It's, um, as we all learned last summer, conserving water uh, is really a crucial thing for those of us who rely on grass growth. So we're fortunate that we've invested in the two boreholes uh, that go underneath the car park and, and provide the water for irrigation. Might they in the future provide grey water in the stands? Might they even produce drinking water in the future as technology advances? All of those sorts of things we're, we're saying with this strategy um, we need to do and we're open to, to finding those solutions. Biodiversity, a wildflower meadow is growing under the grass across at Stableside uh, as, as we speak. So lots of different initiatives, but um, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're proud of where we've got to, proud to have made uh, that commitment and, uh, and looking forward to the next 20 years of work at it because um, it has to be done. And uh, finally, James, obviously one of the big challenges for any race course, particularly one that welcomes a lot of people on a on a pretty regular basis through the summer, is to is to make sure yes, your prize money is good and and you're right to trumpet that, but also that your your consumer experience continues to to improve. What 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 have you done this year to to make sure that York's patrons are, are looked after even better? <laughs> I suppose our our landmark project this year. Uh, chimes with the ongoing retirement tour. So um, we're opening a pub uh, called The Flying Frankie. Uh, and so uh, marking the success of the ebullient Italian uh, here on the Navesmire. Uh, and uh, we're seeing him, of course, uh, over these three days. So um, that's a new innovation. Uh, it will serve uh, a local guest ale, uh, handily called Ebor IPA. So uh, that'll be available there and at our, our traditional Theakston's bar. Um, I recognise that when I say it's £5.90 a pint, some people all wince. It's cheaper than um, a pint is in some places that we could both mention. So um, you know, that's that's an important thing. You're right, that, that sense of experience, we keep talking to the team about giving people a welcome. We, we understand that there is a pressure on finances. So if you're going to spend your hard-earned to come to us, it's beholden to us to give you a great day. And that's what we're gearing up to do today, tomorrow, Friday, and indeed across the 18 days. James Brennan, Head of Marketing at York there. Um, realistic about crowd sizes, but upbeat about the sustainability project and about the increased customer service offering. Uh, Cornelius, it's it's not a hard sell, but they work hard at it. They do have a fantastic um, model, fantastic vehicle with which to work, but they do do a very good job. And it is interesting to to hear them you know they talk realistically they don't just walk around saying you know rah 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 it's all brilliant and uh etc etc you know they are sort of rolling up their sleeves and thinking about these things it's not just a race course it's an interesting vehicle with interesting people involved and i must say if you could bottle james brennan's enthusiasm uh i think you could sell a few bottles of it couldn't you because uh, certainly that would cheer everybody up right to the track we've got oaks trial today derby trial tomorrow the musadora and the and the Dante, the big sprint today, the big staying race Friday, tons of competitive handicaps along the way. What grabs you first, Cornelius? But this Duke of York Stakes is one of the most interesting um, sprints outside the the sort of Ascot and the, the July Cup, isn't it? With Highfield Princess in there, uh, with uh, Creative Force turned around very quickly, uh, with the Australians represented with the astrologist, and Azia Blue and Marshman are very much on the up. I actually, I, my heart 
would love Highfield Princess to win again. But my head said she's got no chance. You know, it almost sounds insulting to call a horse lay of the day, um, especially a great horse like Highfield Princess. But I would be really surprised if she wins today. I think I think the one factor, the one massive factor in her favour, apart from her obvious massive ability, is that she she is a bit of a York freak, even though she's shown brilliant form elsewhere. You know, mm. Three runs at York, a second to Space Blues over seven, absolutely bolting up in a ridiculous time in this last year, beating Minzal, and and then hosing up in the Nunthorpe. So it, it it seems that that if you look at the balance of her form. That York brings about the best in her, so I think I think that element of of course specialist is 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 the biggest the biggest thing in her favour. Obviously, what's against her first run of the season, having to concede the weight and so on. Um, and the, the, it, it's funny, isn't it? Considering York is such an apparently sort of straightforward track, there there are no sort of um, there are no uh, sort of trick questions, are there? Really. Um, it, there are an immense number of course and distance um, well, or, or, or course course specialists, aren't there? Which brings us very neatly on to Dakota Gold, who in the six furlong handicap today bids to take the record outright of wins on the Knavesmire. He ties at the moment on six with Copper Knight, who runs tomorrow, and with the now retired legend Stradivarius over, over staying trips, of course, in his case. Dakota Gold's regular rider is Connor Beasley. And he joins me now. And Connor, you're you're busy at the moment. You're just about to get on a horse at, at Michael Dodds's. What's uh, what are you doing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, obviously busy work mornings, morning, Wednesday, and Saturday. Um, and Michael Dodds's, and yeah, just galloped five on my last one there now, and then get ready for an exciting day at York. So, who are you riding at the moment? Uh, I'm riding a horse that's a maiden that's ever run before. Um, so I just came to scoot up the grass and um, see see where we are. Nice horse. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you're champion in the making. You can probably tell me in about two minutes' time. Right, let's talk about a horse who is a bit of a champion for his own reasons. He he tied. He's tied at the moment with Copper Knight in the retired Stradivarius as the winning most horse at York ever with six victories. Uh, Dakota Gold. Can he make it seven this afternoon? Do you think? Uh, hopefully, I mean he's 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 run first time this season was was a very good run. Um, Pontefract's track, you know, you know he likes a, a straight track, but um, Pontefract's pretty unique and um, but just behind the back of the leader, but I like the way he hit the line and finished off. Um, I think back to York today, uh, he's, he he seems to be in great great shape at home. Um, you know, he's bouncing out of his skin, and I think um, hopefully we'll um, we'll be going there with with a very good chance. I hope. Excellent. You've also got a ride on on his half brother, who's who's a, a similarly illustrious performer. Comanche Falls in the in the Duke of York. Now he's a big price. Could he run above that price? Yeah, I feel he could. To be perfectly honest, the only thing that would be a negative is obviously we draw on one, um, and obviously you've got the fancy runners in. Uh, I think it's eight, eight and ten, so that probably wouldn't. You know, be a disadvantage really, but we'll just have to see how we go. He's, he's in great form. Um, he ran, ran, ran a good race on Saturday there. Um, although it was only Saturday, he's, he's come out of his race well, and um, yeah, he, he seems in good shape. I can't let you go without asking. I mean, you'll be keeping a very keen eye on the Musadora because you you broke broke the maiden on Gather Ye Rosebuds at Newbury. I know Jamie Spencer's riding today, but the way the wheel of fortune turns, you could get back on at some point. Is she a real one? Do you think? Um, I mean, listen, she did it very, very well uh, at Newbury and first time out to do it the way she did is pretty impressive, really. Although it was soft ground, um, 
But at the same time, she doesn't really have an action that would suggest she needs soft ground. Um, you know, she she was very very straightforward and and put put a lot of distance in between, you know, her and the second horse. So I think you know going forward, and I, I feel they, they say she's improved. Um, so if she has improved, obviously she'll be going there. You know, um, obviously on. on Unexposed, but at the same time, um, if she hasn't improved, she should be going there with a very, very strong chance. Connor Beasley, there. I mean, if you were in any doubt that he is a hard working jockey, 90 odd winners under his belt last year, going for the 100 this year, rides at York this afternoon, including on a record breaker or potential record breaker, and uh, on his on his fifth lot of the day at, at Michael Dodds's. So all power to him and thanks to to him for for taking a bit of time out. Well, he didn't really take any time out, but for speaking to me at the same time, Cornelius Jockey. I know you follow very closely, and of course, uh, it's tough on him to, to to make way for Jamie Spencer on Gather Ye Rosebuds, but that's the way of the game. Jack Shannon was was on this show a couple of days ago talking about her, and I know she's a filly that that you're you're quite keen on. I, I just loved her at Newbury. Uh, I love the performance. She won by she won by a mile. It was a it was a it was a big big distance when successful that day. She's a sort of um, she's owned by Coolmore. Uh, I think stalwarts were how they were described in the Racing Post today. Coolmore insiders, but she's trained by Jack Shannon, who's in his first few months as a trainer. He's already hired a horse and heard him talking well on the on the podcast yesterday about Carnarvon running so well in the 1000 guineas and now this horse um is uh, is a, a big big player i, I uh, today and um you know has a lot of prospects for the future i said to him the other day i love i love that gather ye rosebuds and he just looked at me and he said not as much as i love her and he said the way she's been performing on the gallops i'm loving her even more all right, well, loads of highly touted names going for tomorrow's Dante. One of the horses you maybe haven't heard quite so much about is Dancing Magic. You should have done. He's running plenty of good races, but he's still a maiden. He's trained by Roger Teal, the man perhaps best known for training the brilliant sprinter Oxted and others. Um, Roger joins me on the line now. Roger, Dancing Magic is is no completely fanciful entry, is he? What, what are you realistically expecting tomorrow? Well, we're hoping for a great run, Nick. Um, I'd like I'm, I'm confident the extra two furlongs will see an improvement in him. Um, you know, we keep pitching him in, and and uh, he he's never disgraced us yet. So hopefully that'll be continued tomorrow. Um, but yeah, he you know he seems to be working very well at home. He seems he's, he's showing a lot more in his work now after running in the Craven than before the Craven. So. Fingers crossed he can run a big race. It's not like you haven't handled good horses before. You've had Guineas runners-up. You've had July Cup winners. You you know what a good horse is. Is that why you've kept pitching him in deep? Or is, is it sort of rather unfolded um, organically, if you like? Well, look, he was very unlucky not to break his maiden last year. And um, if he hadn't, you know, if he had a win behind his name, then obviously he'd be, get more respect. But he was just just nabbed at Newbury, you know, and, uh, but like I said, he's, he's shown, he's run to a very high level. Um, and yeah, and I'm, you know, he's, he pleases us at home and he, like I've only got a couple of horses like him and, uh, you know, whereas Aiden's probably got 50 like him, you know, so, uh, it's, um, but like I say, I think he deserves to take his chance. His owner's very enthusiastic um, about having a go. So, uh, yeah, no, we, we look forward to running him. Tell me a bit more about the owner. 
Uh, David Fish, he's um, you know, he's he's had um, loads of horses throughout the years, um, and he, he's very enthusiastic. He breeds a lot, um, and uh, like I say, he, he's like anyone. He's dreaming of that very good, you know, getting a very good horse, and and hopefully, in Dancing Magic, can sort of get us get us down that road, you know. And you've got him in the St James's Palace over a mile at Ascot. You've got him in the Edward the the seventh as well over over the mile and a half. You haven't at the moment got him in the Derby. If the he's in the French Derby, he's in the French Derby. Um, I mean, look, the English Derby is you know what it's like there. I mean, because he wasn't into an early stage, costing a lot of money to enter him. We. We're obviously, tomorrow is our first test over a mile and a quarter. Um, if we get it, then, then we can look to go upwards. If uh, if he doesn't stay up for any chance, then obviously, you know, we, we'll, we'll keep him at a mile. But I, I'm, I, I'm very confident that he'll, he'll, he'll appreciate that step up in trip. It's not impossible. You, you'll have had a winner or two before we get to the Dante at York because you've got Caraggio tip to win's brother who looks a, a really exciting prospect for, for Anne Cowley. And, and you've got uh, When the Dealing's Done, who's a, who's a, we know is a smart horse running in, in the early race tomorrow. Do, do you rate both their chances? Yeah, I mean, Caraggio, um, you know, he, he, he was quite exciting last year. Uh, he broke his maiden well at, at Leicester, had a good field behind him. Probably didn't do the best by him by running him in the Horace Hill about 10 days later on and the ground went very testing. Uh, he ran a solid race, but it probably was a bit too soon for him. So we've let him mature over the winter. Um, and uh, yeah, he, 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 he's pleasing us at home. So hopefully um, hopefully he, he's trained on and um, he can go and run a big race today. Roger Teal, who, with a relatively small team, could have a pretty decent week. Uh, Dancing Magic's a big price for the Dante, but he's rated it in the hundreds. He's more than entitled to take his chance. Had to go an awful long way back to find another maiden to, to win the race. Answers on a postcard, please. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find one in, in recent history, but if you know of one, send me a tweet, at Nick Luck. Cornelius Lysett back with me. Cornelius, the big derby trial tomorrow, the, the Dante stakes. Where where are you looking most closely? Yeah, well, the the entry continues, doesn't it? Because again, because of because of Sir Michael, um, and um, you know what, uh, you know the fact that passenger uh, is uh, is in uh, is in the field tomorrow um, is uh, you know one one run and uh, successful, and then supplemented for the race in the Niarcos Colours. It was it was a taking performance, wasn't it, at, at Newmarket the other day? Uh, he's available, I think, at around about the sort of five six to one mark for for the Dante. But were he to win, uh, he he certainly uh, becomes a very interesting contender for for top honours later in the year. But Canberra Legend is clearly um, a, uh, a, a a massive player. The extra distance will suit. Continuous has the sort of profile of the sort of horse that could just emerge. Uh, for for Coolmore uh, and Epictetus, well, um, they, they, they they don't seem one one minute they were they they won at Epsom the other day, didn't they? And at, at one stage they seemed to be saying they they weren't planning to go for Epsom now, probably more France, and now you know this is going to help them decide what what they're going to do. But um, clearly with Frankie de Tori riding, um, that that's a, a fascinating contender tomorrow. And flying honours is in there as well. The fact they bet four to one, nine to two, something like that, the field. 
probably reflects just what a what an interesting little race it is tomorrow. And before we turn our attentions elsewhere and to other parts of the globe, uh, anything else really grab you uh, that that you you feel a a burning urge to talk about today or on on any other day of, of this York Dante Festival? I'll tell you, there's a trainer uh, in Yorkshire called Adrian Keatley who's had a winner, I think, at the last two uh, Dante meetings at York. And he has a runner in the 5.15 to, uh, today called Kiva, which won the race last year. Tom Marquand is riding it. Uh, it's two pounds higher than than a year ago. It's not going to be my tip, but um, I think Kiva is a really interesting contender there. Dare I say it, a triple crown is a real possibility this year because Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner, is the only horse from that race to make it to the Preakness. He faces seven rivals. It's not a pushover by any stretch of the imagination, but he's heavily favoured. He comes from gate three and he's a horse, let's not forget, with only four runs under his belt, the most recent of which was that Derby success. You'll have heard from quite a bit of his co-ownership by now. Certainly, Ramiro Restrepo featured very heavily before and after the Kentucky Derby. We have also spoken with Chase Chamberlain, who is one of the principals of the uh, micro-share uh, outfit Commonwealth on this show before, and he joins me again now. Um, Chase, what a dreamy year it's it's turning out for Commonwealth. Country grammar first, and now a, a stake in Mage as well. How has your life changed since the Derby? Well, I'm a lot more busy, I can tell you that. Um, you know, we've had over 8,000 new downloads um, to the Commonwealth app, tons and tons of people reaching out, asking how they can get involved, which is, of course, exciting. That's why we did this, right? So that we could open up the world of racing to more people, especially a younger um, demographic that maybe otherwise wasn't interested in racing. So that's been amazing. And then, you know, what can you say about a Kentucky Derby win, Nick? Um, you know, it was country grammar is always going to be my heart horse. I love that horse. Um, it, it, there's no comparison in the the, the fanfare, the reaction i think maybe the maybe the the cultural kind of inflection point that that kentucky derby provides and it has been it, it's taken what i thought was a wild ride before and just you know turned it on its head um we, we had a, a a neat little uh, episode before the derby when i i called you and i said how many of your micro share owners would be prepared to come and, and be on an NBC for just a few seconds before, before the race? Now, I don't think I've ever known such energy amongst a, an ownership group before a big race. They, they, were, they were wild. And this was before the horse had even gone to post. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. You know, I think the thing that we were really careful to remind people of, especially because these people are also new to racing by and large, is that we've already won by arriving. You've got a one in a thousand chance of making it to Kentucky Derby. So we truly meant like, guys, when we're here, we've already won by, by simply being able to start in the race. And, you know, I think that went a long way. Um, and it, it, it showed on, like you said, in the energy that everybody brought. And so naturally carrying that over to the win was just, I, I actually watched a reaction video it was so surreal that I didn't even know how to respond to the win. I mean, other than gratitude, obviously, but I watched these reaction videos that uh, one of our team members put together. That's what made me emotional. It was so cool to watch people in disbelief, in awe, overcome with emotion. I mean, freaking out, like you name it, they experienced it. I think that's what really made the Derby win the most exciting for me. Um, one of your, your members sidled up to me uh, before the race and said, you know, this isn't my first rodeo. You know, I've I've owned a Derby winner before, and of course, he'd been part of the 
my racehorse microshare with Authentic uh, in COVID year. And here he was with his second derby winner. And I believe that was also the case for Norma, who was the lady that I interviewed with you immediately after the race, who was lifted by a couple of the beaten jockeys in her wheelchair up towards the cupola, which was one of the loveliest moments I think I've seen on a, 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 in, in the aftermath of a sporting event. Oh, man, that, it was such a special moment for me. Norma it has become such a close friend of the company, and, and she's just a, a delightful woman. And she said, please, please make sure that I'm not forgotten you know, if we win. And I said, Norma, if I have to drag you across that racetrack myself, um, I will. And so I, I ran and got her, uh, sent everybody across the track, and I, I got to the gap and I started screaming, someone help me. And I was so focused, my adrenaline was pumping, and I just heard, let's go, let's go, let's go. And out of my peripheral vision, I saw jockey silks. And I'm like, I didn't even see who it was at the time. We just were carrying, like we just, we, we were just going. And uh, it, it really was, it was such an awesome, just such a class move from Jose Ortiz and uh, Gerardo Corrales. And, it, you know, I know that that had a, a lasting impact on Norma and, and myself as well. It was a, a very, a very special moment. Um, needless to say, the last couple of weeks have been a whirlwind. Now you have to refocus, get to Baltimore. How big, how big a, a Commonwealth contingent are you expecting outside the Commonwealth of Kentucky? We have almost 80 people coming. Um, we're going to take over most of the turf terrace area. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of kind of coordinating and planning all this right now. So we're expecting a big, very energetic group. <laughs> You've obviously looked at the race now. The opposition has been thinning out, but there's there's some fresh horses here and some fresh talented horses. How how would you rate the task ahead of Mage now relative to the difficulty of the Kentucky Derby? Well, look, it's it's a different race, you know, just in general. Um, it's still, you know, sometimes I think people, I, I think it's a bit of a mistake thinking of the Preakness. I've listened to people at times kind of liken it to a sprint. I'm like, it's a mile and three sixteenths. Most horses haven't gone that distance. Our horse came out of the Derby, we think, better than he came out of Florida Derby. Um, Gustavo's just done such an amazing job putting a foundation on a horse, you know, being brought up, you know, in kind of the, the old school of Venezuela where trainers frequently run horses mile and a quarter, mile and a half. I think you put an amazing foundation on the horse. It's, of course, going to be difficult. Um, you know, people can say it's it's a light preakness and, well, you know, what have you. The fact remains, it is the preakness and it's a graded stakes race and they're sending out horses and horses want to win um, or their connections want to win. So I think it's going to be a difficult race, but... I, I think it's Mage's race to lose, just with the way that he's acting, the way he's training. He seems to love the track surface. Sorry, Nick. You're all right. You're in. You're in Baltimore, right? We're not in Baltimore yet. It sounds like we are, but <laughs> no. I, I think. I think the horse is gonna is really set up to run a big race. If you look at his thoroughgraph pattern, he got a zero in the Kentucky Derby. Um, all he's done is is progress. Gustavo's expecting a big run. You know, I think he's the speed of the race. And in fairness, everybody's seen the horse kind of come from behind. I think he's a very versatile horse. And so I'm excited to see what he has to do um, or has to say about Preakness. I I think it's going to be fun. And Chase, finally, to to what extent, and I don't want to end this on a low note, but to what extent are you cognizant of the fact that this is a a genuine feel-good story, which is at right angles to, to the rest of the narrative surrounding horse racing at the moment? Yeah, you know... Look, we all have work to do in horse racing. Um, I don't think that the work will ever be done. Um, I think one thing that I'm proud of is I'm proud that our team has put our horse first. 
Um, and that's not a dig at anybody else, that anybody hasn't, or what anybody else has done. But, you know, we received a lot of pressure to declare Preakness immediately, and Gustavo was unwilling. Um, our whole team was unwilling. We said, we'll let Mage tell us. Um, and, you know, I think I think we're racing maybe as the greatest, you know, strides to make is uh, is, is is in maybe latching onto this idea that, that we need to keep our side of the street clean, um, and if, if people maybe would spend a little bit more energy doing that, uh, maybe it could be better for, for racing as a whole. Um, and again, I, I, I think subscribing simple solutions to complex problems never works very well. Um, but, you know, one thing that I can say for certain is that Gustavo and team have put Mage first. Um, and I think a lot of people do. And I think, you know, the beautiful thing about groups like ours is that we're getting all these people that otherwise would have sat on the sidelines and maybe read these headlines that are certainly damning or, or at least disheartening, they understand, they can read between the lines and understand, wow, you know, I actually know how much energy and passion and commitment goes into these horses. Um, and I think that makes all the difference. The closer you can get somebody to the sport, um, the more they can start to sift through the nuance and give racing the benefit of the doubt. And then it's, you know, it's on the rest of us to make sure that we hold each other accountable and that we, you know, we, we start to take uh, take things to a better place. Chase, thanks so much. Best of luck this weekend. Thanks, Nick. Okay, well, today's feature, the Musadora Stakes, has been sponsored by Tattersalls. We were trying to work out how long that sponsorship had lasted. Reckon it's somewhere over three decades. Their marketing director, Jimmy George, regular on the podcast, joins me now. Uh, Jimmy, safely ensconced in York, but I gather you've been somewhere a little more exotic recently. Yes, Nick. Yeah, I just got back from Japan. Um, regular visitor to Japan, but haven't been able, for obvious reasons, to visit since 2019. So it was good to be back. Spent uh, five or six days there, saw a lot of old friends, and uh, yeah, it was really good to be back there. Presumably, in in your role, it's crucial to understand what's happening in the in the Japanese bloodstock market. Is the uh, vibrancy within as it appears from the outside? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I went to a, a, a smallish, but um, but fairly you know very well regarded breeze up sale there at a race course called funabashi just on the outskirts of tokyo look the market was very strong and uh, their yearling and foal market's been very strong and the whole of their racing and breeding industry is uh, is as we know on the international stage very much on a roll and i think that's reflected in their domestic market and and um, you know the, the eagerness to participate there and so presumably your mission, as much as sort of trying to see how they're doing things, is to, is to get Japanese buyers to come to the UK and buy, and buy British stock. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got a, a, a good band of, of regular and loyal um, Japanese clients who come regularly to Tattersalls. Uh, in particular, they target the December mare's sale and also the uh, one of the October yearling sale. They're looking at the, at the top end of the market these days, and they've been very, very successful in sourcing some fantastic stock. But weirdly, having said they, they target the top end of the market, um, one of the recent success stories is the dam of um, well-known globe-trotting Group 2 winner Bathrat Leon, who hopefully may come over to England at some point later this year. And his, his very shrewd breeder, Ken Mishima, bought the dam of Bathrat Leon at the July sale a few years ago for 8,000 guineas. So uh, it demonstrates that, uh, that there's value to be found everywhere in the market, but also the Japanese are very cute at sourcing the, the stock. 
every time you come on you tell me one of these infuriating stories and I always just think why wasn't it me but anyway one day maybe one day you're at York now from Japan to the Knavesmire it sounds like a beautiful sounds like a beautiful day there this has been a very long-standing sponsorship the Musidora sponsorship hasn't it yeah I think so long that I can't really remember when it started but it's well over 30 years now and it's it's very much a, a part and parcel of the Tattersall's uh, UK and Ireland sponsorship portfolio and uh, one of the one of the highlights it's it's very much I, I think you know it's fair to say that the Tattersall's Musador and the Dante Stakes are the the premier classic trials for the the Oaks and the Derby respectively and uh, the the Tattersall's Musador has lived up to that certainly in recent years with Emily Upjohn winning last year probably a slightly unlucky Oaks runner-up and Snowfall winning it the year before so went on to went on to Oaks glory afterwards and this looks like a very good renewal this afternoon all right back with us Cornelius uh, I've saved this for the end and for you because I know how much everybody loves talking about whip regulations in Great Britain in a, a press release from the BHA yesterday, which begins as part of the ongoing rollout of the new WIP rules, there are further tweaks to the regulations that were established at the back end of last year initially. And there are two bits of tweaking. One refers to this time to respond aspect of uh, the new rules. And it is probably relevant that just over a quarter of all infringements under the new rules uh, are down to time to respond, allowing uh, the the horse enough time to uh, to respond before the the whip is used again. Um, and what is called double tapping, which is the sort of unintentional instant instinctive action of which isn't actually a use of the whip, which looks as though it might be a use of the whip. Uh, that is uh, at the moment penal is b- being taken into account and penalised. And um, what they're doing is they're tweaking to say that instead of getting a, a four day uh, ban for, for double tapping, um, it can be that can be uh, negated by a single day of coaching. So you don't get a four day ban, but that's on a first referral. But on a second referral, uh, there will be a four day ban unless uh, there have been 150 months or three months since the last one. The reason it's become an issue now is because unlike under the old rules, it only takes two in quick succession, i.e. without time to respond, in order to trigger a ban, whereas under the old rules, it took three in quick succession. So instances like this wouldn't have happened. Now, under the proposed rules put forward by the steering group of which I was a part, the penalty for for not time to respond was the same as the old penalty, which was two days, um, doubling to four days in class one or two races. When the jockeys went in for the horse trading after the backhand forehand, Shamozel at the back end of last year before Christmas and asked for greater clarity and greater uh, and, and greater penalties in order to get that clarity. Uh, this increased to four days, eight days in class one or two races, which I would argue, and uh, they I'm sure now would argue, was disproportional. But I would remind everybody that that was the that was uh, the deal that the jockeys then struck before yeah. Christmas with with the BHA. The other point to note is that the line here in the press release is that under the revised structure where the contact is inadvertent rather than deliberate the jockey is given the option etc etc now how is it going to be proven whether a, a wave that is supposed to be a wave and a wave that's actually a strike is either inadvertent or deliberate i would imagine finer legal brains than me will have a field day when one or two of these cases go to appeal but gradually this block of regulations is being 
chipped away at. And for all that these regulations have to be an evolutionary process and they have to keep being looked at because that's responsible regulation, at what point is the authority losing its authority? The other interesting note is that the PJA, who famously is supposed to have been absent and that the jockeys aren't happy with, seem to have had a, a central role at the table here. So there are a few points in this that that make you raise an eyebrow or two and perhaps the most interesting one and and this would certainly resonate with one or two of the groups that have been critical of the way this process has been played out is the the change in regulations for horses having been marked with the whip and and having had a a wheel mark left on them and and the change in penalties for that clearly marking is um uh, is is something that will be is is spotted and racing's opponents will definitely be spotting this so at the moment uh, a severe a severe marking is 28 days a medium one 14 and a minor one seven that's reduced if there's no uh, riding offense in association to 14 seven and four I just, I just think marking is marking isn't it well, yes and no. I mean, the contention, and a correct one, broadly speaking, is that some horses will mark e- e- more easily than others. But that's not really what's being being introduced here, it seems. It, it seems as though this is more about whether you've committed a, a, a concurrent offence at, at the same time. And there is a recognition within the press release that a lot of horse sports will, will penalise, you know, irrespective of another offence having taken place if a horse is marked. And it's a very difficult to to argue against that given the current narrative that the that the sport is trying to to put out there so uh, i think this is uh, for the reasons you you've said going to arguably be problematic from a from a communications point of view all right uh, onwards cornelius uh, have you got a tip for me for today yeah can i just just quickly before um that the the heron stakes at um at uh, sandown last night slip of the pen uh, for the King and Queen. Uh, um, I think there was quite big hope that this horse would win, ended up finishing in third place, having been a bit slowly away. Since the coronation, I think on the flat, there's been a fourth, a second, another second, a winner, a sixth, and a couple of thirds. The, the winner was actually quite nice at Nottingham last weekend, a horse called Serried Ranks, trained by Ralph Beckett. Uh, Rafe Beckett. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Rafe. Rafe, Rafe Beckett. I, I did have to tell Rafe the other day that I always write his name on everything when I write it down uh, as R-A-E-F because um, otherwise I'm inclined to suddenly say the, the other word and he doesn't like that very much. But trained by Rafe Beckett, um, uh, serried ranks. But I think that the, the, the uh, racing would just love for, for one of these horses um, to, to come up with a really nice performance uh, to, to really get the bandwagon rolling going into one of the big events. All right, what about some advice for us? Yeah, let's go to York and the Duke of York Stakes at three o'clock. The 1895 Duke of York Clipper Stakes, to be absolutely precise, Group 2. Uh, and uh, although my um, heart is saying Highfield Princess, the head is saying Creative Force. Number five, Creative Force will win this for uh, Godolphin, Charlie Appleby and William Buick. Best of luck. Okay, Cornelius, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back with you from Maryland tomorrow. That was Wednesday, May the 17th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, 
and thoroughbred racing commentary. Thank you.